This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 19 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 2 in our series on Cliff Bowl as an X-Files director, where we will be looking at his first X-Files episode, Small Potatoes. So before we get into the episode itself, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, X-Files on the whole. Max, I know that you're a big fan, as am I. Uh, but yeah. what what are your uh, what are some of your general thoughts on the X Files? Well, like a lot of X Files fans, um, I went through a period of frustration with the show. Um, but like like people I know who like watched the show when it first started and then like kept like stuck with it all the way till the end and watched the movie when it came out in summer. It was like it was a it was a big thing. A lot of people like lost faith with it and stopped watching it. And like there was a point in season eight where I was, you know, like, oh, is this show as good as it once was? And I wasn't sure. But when I went back and watched the entire show, like I like Emily hadn't seen everything. And I was like, well let's watch the X Files. And uh and like the first season, there were some episodes where I was like, "I wish we could skip this." Mm-hmm. Uh, but but later on, that show really never had a straight up bad episode. No matter how crazy backwards an episode was, or how weirdly predictable a plotline was, it was always still doing something fascinating. And I, I I I stand by season eight as being one of the best in the series. And there there are moments in that show that are way better than the show had any right to be and TV really has any right to be. And a lot of the stuff that I, I really respond to is just it's it was it was never content to be what people thought it was. Yeah. It was always trying to do more than than it was than it was what was considered normal or standard. And so I, I'm 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 pretty much in awe of that show from beginning to end. Um, even the bad episodes, they, they didn't fail because of a lack of imagination. They failed because they just didn't know what they were doing at that point. Space, unbelievably terrible episode, but they were trying. It's a fascinating show. Yeah, I, um, caught up with this show a little bit late. Uh, it was actually the summer before the movie. So in between seasons four and five, uh, as as the new season, the new television season was starting, you know, with four seasons in the can, that was enough for syndication. And FX was airing each episode in order. Um, and I decided to take that opportunity to do an entire um, viewing of the series and be all caught up in time for the new movie. So I did that. That's what I spent that entire year doing was watching the X-Files. I'd bring them into school 
I, I was working in the, the TV studio, and I basically had a bunch of, it was my senior year in high school, I had a bunch of free time, and basically spent all of it watching the X-Files at school. That was my thing. Um, and it was very good education, much better than the public school system usually offers, honestly. Almost anything is. And I, I, I really did like the show a lot. In a lot of ways, I find it similar to Star Trek and the original series in particular in that there's a lot of inconsistency. There are episodes which are almost... It's consistently inconsistent. It's consistently inconsistent. There's episodes which are almost unwatchable, and there's episodes which are the best you'll ever know. And I would say it definitely skews a lot more towards good than bad, but it can it can be a tough sit at times because it's not i mean even though it has like this overarching mythology it's much more standalone than most shows today at, at any rate and um there are times where you'll see the teaser and you'll be like oh werewolves this week uh, i don't know if i can deal with that you know or whatever you know and 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 it can sometimes be hard to to just barrel through them but when you come across a good one one which is like really, really stand out. It just makes it all worthwhile because it's amazing. And also a fun thing to rediscover episodes that you didn't think much of originally. Yeah. Uh, upon reflection in the the light of the history that the show was, a lot of episodes that seemed forgettable at the time stand out. I mean, we will get to it, but Bad Blood. Yeah. Fast, amazing episode. When I first saw it, I thought, well. Now it's like, oh my god, that's that's an amazing episode. Yeah, that's like that's that's as good as the show gets. Sometimes it's like you don't know it when it's happening because you're in the moment. Yeah, and, and we we will get to that next week because yeah. I definitely have some stuff to say about that too. But I mean, I mean, just in general, still, you know, kind of uh, looking at it, what the show is about for those people who may not know, I can't imagine anyone listening to this doesn't know. But I, hey, it it is, you know, I mean, we grew up with it. It, it, but it is a twenty-something-year-old show. I mean, yes, last year was the twentieth anniversary of this show. Yes, so. I recently I recently encountered someone who who has a very very like wide knowledge base about TV and movies, yeah. but has some humongous gaps and that it, were really surprising, like really weird gaps. Right, and, and so I mean, it's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a person who I work with who's a big uh, science fiction fan, and she's never seen the X Files. It's weird. I it think happens. she's not really a big science fiction fan. She is. Like she's watched yeah. like all the Twilight Zone, everything like that. And she and she's a huge breaking my, my, bad my, fan. My too. pointless adherence to this concept. But, okay, cool. But for those people who don't know, basically the show is about um uh two FBI agents, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully, yeah. who are uh, responsible for investigating the unexplained, you know, kind of like well, paranormal things and Obviously, aliens play a large part in in the in the show, and and basically, their dynamic is that Mulder, played by David Duchovny, is uh, a true believer. He wants to believe at any rate. Yeah. And you know, his sister was abducted by aliens, or so he thinks, and he's sort so of thinks, yes. and and he's sort of uh, made it his life's mission to uh, uncover the truth in all of its forms. Yes. And Dana Scully. His partner is someone who has basically, initially at any rate, been placed with him to sort of keep an eye on him. She is a medical doctor and a scientist, 
and very much into facts and you know truth in a in a scientific fashion. Well, she's a skeptical, she's reasonable skept- person, right? She's she's very skeptical, and she's not going to uh, believe something just because she wants to. Unlike Mulder, who lots of times will. Well, the show the show definitely takes takes the concept of her role seriously because Mulder does appreciate that she keeps him grounded. Yeah, he would have he would have been killed if it had not been for her. Sure. Yeah. And you know the the show also has sort of a uh, well, it has a mythology involving the aliens and a government conspiracy and all that stuff. But it, it has, has several mythology. It has uh, a, a number of. I mean, a, a good number of standalone episodes, like probably more than half of the of the shows are standalone episodes, which usually deal with um, different... It can be a monster of the week, it could be an alien of the week, or just some sort of weird occurrence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And with those episodes, one of the things which I find to be one of its really, really, really big strengths is that it doesn't adhere to the same formula on a weekly basis. Sometimes it gets stuck in a rut, but it will do, you know, a suspense show or a horror show or a comedy show or whatever, you know, and and it has really no problem adjusting its tone uh, from week to week, so much so that if you put two episodes back to back, you, you almost think like, these are different shows. These are from different series. You know, how do they... How do they actually uh, reconcile this? But it works extremely well. And this week's episode is one of the humorous episodes. It is called Small Potatoes. It was the 20th episode of season four and also aired on the 20th day of April in 1997. Oh boy. So take that as you will. It was written by Vince Gilligan, who was a uh, one of the... the high ups in terms of the writing staff. He wasn't the showrunner, I don't think, ever, but he was definitely there. He was one of the, the hands. Might have been the right hand, might have been the left hand, but he was one of the main guys after Chris Carter. Yeah, he was like a, a, a Robert Hewitt both for a Ron, Ronald D. Moore, you know, yeah, somewhere he was, in he that was, thing. He was one of those guys. Yeah, every time Vince Gilligan's name came up on screen, you knew that uh, you, you were going to see something... Interesting, at the very least. Yeah, it's X-Files. There were a lot of names that meant sure. that. Yeah. There were a lot of names true. that you knew were going to be good. And and Vince Gilligan has since gone on to much fame, uh, probably even more so than his X-Files fame, or more so than Chris Carter's X-Files fame. Vince Gilligan is the creator of Breaking Bad. Yeah, and, and now in the era of celebrity showrunners, yeah, it's a pretty huge deal. Yeah. But he got his start, at least in terms of... Uh, public notoriety on the x-files and this is one of his episodes and it's one of his best episodes according to a lot of people do you want to describe the, the plot of small potatoes well it's kind of hard to describe the plot without like doing like an almost like you know beat for beat like plot summary which well, I, would take a really long time i can but, do it okay they're babies with tails Yes. A lot of babies with tails. And so Mulder and Scully investigate where these babies with tails are coming right. from. Babies being born with tails in a small town. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out why. What's what's going on with this? Yeah. And um, 
spoilers, I guess. I mean, it's kind of revealed throughout the episode, but basically it's revealed that there is a, a janitor who is, uh, you know... Um, he's a shapeshifter? He's a shapeshifter who is... Sort of. Yeah, and he's um, basically tricking these women into having sex with him yes. and impregnating them. And that's why all of their babies are being born with tails because they're all his kids. It's funny, right? It's funny, yeah. That he raped them. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very bizarre. And I was actually thinking about that while watching it. I'm like, oh, this is the funny one. Um, you know, there's even a scene where they're like, he's uh, taken the form of, of Mulder. And mm-hmm. he's in the the FB. He's in their their supervisor's office. This happens more than you'd expect. And they're like, <laughs> and they're talking about him and how he's you know, they've registered him in the sex offender database and stuff like that. And he's giving this look. He doesn't actually say it, but he pretty much almost says like, "Come on, he's not that bad of a guy." You're 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 giving you're you're painting it in a way where to make it look like yeah. Sound like tricking women into having yeah. sex with you with like you know supernatural powers is somehow uncool. He's like, look, everyone's getting what they want. You know, come on, where's the victim? You know, <laughs> and and it's it's just weird that it is presented in that way because, I mean, obviously this is from the perspective of the bad guy, you know, who does go to jail at the end for uh, you know sexual assault and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's strange. But I mean, that's one of the things that this show does really well is sort of deal with. Um, it's not making light of rape. But it is dealing with rape in a comedy. Does that make any sense? I don't. I don't think there's anything, think there's anything wrong with it because, in, yeah. like, it's, this is a show we see from the perspective of FBI agents, and right. no matter what, if the FBI shows up, it's because something bad happened. Yeah. Like, if someone's probably dead, like, so when whenever <clears throat> it's about it's about their experience with the case, and their experience with the case is crazy. Yeah. Their experience is ridiculous, and so obviously there are going to be times where during the process of investigating even the most horrible crimes, there will be stuff that's funny. Because for them, it's not like they're not the victims, they're not the perpetrators, they're the investigators, and for them, it's a job. To them, it's their office. And if they're not capable of enjoying their time at the office, then they would go crazy. Yeah. It's gallows humor, as they say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this episode is considered to be one of the best of the show. Um, You know, on on Geos, it is in the top five. And... uh, what what were your thoughts on it? it? It came just in terms of historical context. Sorry, it, it came in season four, which was the year before the movie came out. Yeah. So like almost, if you look at the timeline, almost immediately after they finished shooting this episode, they had like two or three episodes left, and then they went in to start on the movie. Basically, what that means is like X Files was at the height of its popularity. You know, at this point in time. Um, I, I was, I mean, everyone I knew watched it, and I hadn't started watching it basically because I felt like I needed to watch it from the beginning. And um, yeah, that's crazy. It's it's also, in, in in my opinion, sort of at the height of its quality too. I mean, seasons four and five, right before the movie, I think were kind of its its sweet spot. Season three, it was getting there, but seasons four and five were when the standalone episodes were at their best, if you ask me. And this is one of the best of the standalone Unbelievably good. Okay, all right. I don't know about that post-movie stuff, but we, whatever. 
So well, you're, you're, you have you have some weird hangups about about the X Files and and its its movie relationship. Yeah. And I stand by this: the movie largely forgettable. Okay, all right, fair enough. So, so what were your thoughts on Small Potatoes? When I watched the show, and I've watched it from game to end a few times, when I get to this episode, I get excited. Mm-hmm. And I get excited about a lot of episodes. You know, it's just like it's like, oh yeah, this one I love this one, and uh, this is one of the ones that I continually find more things to like about it. It's just because it's filled with it's filled with humor, and some of it's really subtle. Some of it's really clever, and there are definitely like like relationships things like between Mulder and Scully that like you keep noticing things that uh, that that enrich the characters in their relationship over time. It's really hard to notice in the moment when it's occurring but upon reflection it's it's kind of shocking how well composed their relationship was yeah considering how long they sort of orbited each other yeah it's their their relationship is very on display in this episode and it's fascinating seeing how they're totally in love with each other right but they they they're they're so of the same mind on some issues and like when when the shapeshifter takes on Mulder's shape it's like he doesn't get it and i don't know how to put it into words but he doesn't get it yeah and it's it's an amazing scene there's a, there's a lot of great scenes in this those sequences are are the, are the best of the show yeah um it it is they you know they've got kind of at this point in time they were doing the whole thing where they're sort of like circling around their relationship and there was a lot of you know this episode actually reminded me a lot of the Worf Troy relationship where you see uh them getting together in ways which are not really um mm. them ah. you know them yes <laughs> you know it's 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 like it's it's almost like uh it's it's kind of a tease in that you know you're you're seeing what you want to see, but that's not really Mulder, you know that kind of thing, right? And um, they, they they did that a lot. They did that a lot, and and this this I think is one of the better examples of this. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It, it is very humorous. It's it's a, it's an extremely funny episode. Uh, one one of the funniest, and the 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 humorous episodes, by and large, were all really good. You know, there are times where like the horror might not work or or the suspense might not work, but it's very rare that the the comedy didn't work, you know. Well, I think I think part of that is because like I I don't think there's an example of an episode like after season 1 being so bad that it hurts the show, but like the the seriousness and the and the, and the gravitas that the that the serious episodes gave the show, gave the characters you you accepted it when they ended up in a ridiculous scenario. I mean, there's an episode where they deal with a genie. I mean, like, and, like, because you've been through a lot with them and you take them seriously, when they interact with something that they find ridiculous, you accept it because they know it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And and their their seriousness and their lives are mat- they matter to you as they, you believe them as as people as characters so when they're dealing with it you don't think this is breaking the reality you think wow this is a really big reality that can accommodate a lot of really strange things yeah yeah and they, like the the comedy episodes did not hurt the seriousness they just expanded the world right to include more things which makes the serious stuff even more incredible yeah Everything like it was it fed each other. Everything benefited from everything else being good. 
And, and I think a lot of that had to do with um, the people involved and how good they were at um, everything, you know. Especially, I mean, the, the, the people who were where it's most evident are uh, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, like both extremely good actors. And uh, you, you look at them here and their performances and they're really, really funny. You know, and and it's it's not just like it's not just like they're reading funny dialogue. I mean, M- Mulder is not Mulder throughout half this episode. So Duchovny is playing essentially two different characters, yeah. but he's playing a character who is playing the character he usually plays, and he ca- it's 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 one of those things really like when you, you see you see it in things you see it in movies and yeah. stuff, and and it's it's a really weird thing when you forget. Yeah, how weird it is, right? Because in the episode, like you are not taking out of it. You're not thinking David Duchovny is playing it. You're just thinking that's not Mulder, right? Exactly. And, and like you have to remind yourself that David Duchovny is acting. Yeah, because it seems totally right. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's totally true. And you know, Scully is sort of like the perfect straight man in this kind of thing. Well, she sort of always was. Yeah, she always was, and and uh, until later seasons when. She became the Mulder. Right, right. So, yeah, and, and and I guess leading into sort of like Bull's contribution to this, I mean, that to me is, is very significant here, probably more so than on a, a lot of the stuff that he did on Star Trek. Like X-Files, because of the, the, the nature of it, because of the fact that you had um, uh, sort of more anthology type of stories and more locations and, and everything, more characters in a sense, you know, like more characters who weren't part of the main cast, you know, more guest stars and stuff. Mm-hmm. It really felt like the the directors on The X-Files did had more to do than the directors on Star Trek. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like the direction on Star Trek wasn't as good. It's that they didn't have the freedom to do what the directors on the X Files had, and that I think really uh, stands out. And when you look at Bull's work, I mean, I was definitely watching this episode with the direction in mind, and having just watched the best of both worlds and stuff like that, it's almost like it was directed by a different person because he has so much more freedom. But I mean. Some of that is, it's the, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a set. It's all yeah. I mean, they're the, not there, there all the time. There is all that, yeah, and and the tone of the piece in general, but especially contrasting it with you know his work on Star Trek, even in terms of tone and everything like that, it's like this episode is really funny, and a lot of it, it's not just the dialogue which is funny. It's you know the way that it's played. And I mean, like the compositions. There's, there's even a ton of camera moves. There's a ton of visual gags. Yeah, yeah. you know the, the the way that it's shot, like you're saying, and then the performances that he's able to get out of them. I mean, there's this one gag where where uh, Mulder breaks a a tail off of a body, and he spends like the entire scene trying to put the tail back onto the corpse, you know? Yeah. And there's like a whole scene which is playing out, you know, on, on, on the other side of that. And the the way that it's shot and then also the way that it's cut and everything and, and that you have like all of this, this sort of uh, expositional dialogue going on while this other humorous thing is going on on the side. And that's a really tough balancing act and, and it, it works really, really well. 
And then also taking into account the fact that this is the first time that Bull was on that set. And these guys had been making this show for four years now. They know the ins and outs of everything. You know, uh, Duchovny and Anderson know the characters like the back of their hand. It's written by a guy who I think had been with the show since the beginning and had written, you know, a million great episodes. He even wrote the part of the the bad guy uh, for Darren Morgan in particular, who plays him. And Darren Morgan is the brother of, I think, the guy who was running the show at that point in time, who had also written uh, what at that point in time was considered to be probably the best episode of the show. So you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are intimately familiar with this series, and you're the new kid on the block, and you're essentially the guy who's giving the orders and trying to make you know, this, this script, which is great, work. And it's got to be tough to first time out have to get those types of performances out of Duchovny and Anderson, Duchovny in particular, where he's not just playing Mulder. He's playing a guy playing Mulder. And it's Duchovny who um, is a little bit weird. Sure, he's weird. <laughs> and he's also, he's also, I imagine, a rather uh, uh, forceful presence on set considering the fact that he would write episodes for himself and later direct episodes for himself. He was very protective of that character. Yeah, he w- he became a very significant creative force on the show. Yeah. So, yes, there there there's nothing that isn't intimidating about the concept of being a new guy going in to direct those people. And to and to direct this thing, this particular one, for this yeah. to be your first. It's not your standard monster of the week, you know. It's it's something where everyone is going to look at the script and be like, oh, we're doing something different this week. I've got to bring my A game, and everyone's probably got an idea of how to do it, and and everyone probably has a, a slightly different idea on how to do it. Yeah. And uh, he really just knocks it out of the park, you know? Yeah, there's there's, there's definitely the... Like, uh, when, when I watched this episode most recently, when I watched the entire show again, I, I thought, is it possible that they didn't think that this would be good? But they did not have faith that this script would turn into a good episode. And that's why they didn't have a problem with, with having a new person. And that just doesn't work because they just didn't work that way. That's just not how they made the show. They didn't, they didn't ever shovel a thing out to get it done. Like everything was, was an, att- an attempt to do something great. So somehow somehow they knew that, that Cliff Bolton would know exactly what he was doing. I don't know how you audition a director. But like obviously – he he made his case very easily. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're someone like Cliff Bowl who's done, you know, 250 hours of television or whatever it is, you know, there's enough stuff in there where you can say, okay, take a look at this, take a yeah. look at this, you know, and, and obviously I know what I'm doing. But still, I mean, like... It's what? still... Imp- even, if, even if you know that he knows what he's doing, it's still yeah. impressive that you would trust it. Yeah. He's obviously got something going on that that people were aware of. And I guess just to place it into the proper historical context, you know, this this episode aired April 20th, 1997, so that would have been um, about three years after um, Next Gen had ended. So it would have been like season five of DS9 and season three of Voyager. Yeah. So he was still working in Star Trek, but, but Next Gen was already done, and I'm sure he had been doing other shows as well at the same time. And Vince um, Gilligan is a pretty serious Star Trek fan. Is he? Okay. Yeah. All right. So that 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 would that makes sense too. I mean, you know, obviously, 
I'm sure everyone on the X-Files was like, the guy who did best of both worlds? Hell yeah, let's get him in here, you know? Yes, the X-Files was an astonishingly nerdy group of, of people. Yeah. They, they they definitely knew what they were doing. Which you can totally tell here. I mean, there's a whole gag with yeah. Luke Skywalker, and did he bring his lightsaber and, and everything, and yeah, it's great. Yeah. But yeah, watching this episode, it really makes me kind of wish that Bull had been given the chance to make his own movies because it shows that, you know, I mean, we were talking about it last week with Larry and how, you know, being a television director is not a glamorous job and it's really sort of about making your days and, and uh, you know, churning out the product, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's kind of it's it's kind of like a like a managerial role, right? Right. It's not. It's, it doesn't have like the same sort of like like breadth as as other jobs, but you must be very creative in order to do it because essentially you're managing absolute chaos, right? No matter what the day is, no matter what the script is, it's going to be chaos, and you have to make sense of it. And I can see people being good at at television, but not movies, and vice versa. I mean, you know, you look at like someone like Jonathan Frakes, where it's like, yeah, if you give him a good script, he's going to give you a good product. If you give him a crappy script, he's going to give you a crappy product. Well, that's that's more or less true of almost everyone. Okay, but there there are people who can certainly rise above that as far as like if given the freedom of a feature film, you know. Yeah. Where you take a crappy script and turn it into gold. And then you've got other people, the flip side, people like Tarantino, who, you know, when he has all the freedom in the world, he's going to give you the best thing ever. But you place him in the in the restrictions of television, and he kind of falls apart because he's not used to those restrictions. He can't do it. I mean, as much as I love his episode of CSI, and it is great, the fact that he took an hour-long script, and they needed to turn it into two hours because of the way that he directed it and his pacing shows that he doesn't understand how to direct television. I I think that it's much more complicated than that. It's not it's not a question of like limitations. I think that it, there's a lot to do with a lot of different things. I yeah. think temperament is a pretty significant contributing well, yeah. factor. I mean, all of that's true. I mean, I could but, totally see Cliff Bull not wanting to direct movies just because it seemed like a lot of time. I mean, and that could be, you know, maybe, I mean, sure, sure like there I, are people, you the know, the idea I mean, of, of TV directing makes a kind of like logical sense for a lifestyle. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about you like, you go in and then you go out. Well, when we talked to John D.F. Black, you know, he talked yeah. about how he liked the old style of, uh, you know, television writing a lot better than what's around today, because if you're on a staff, you're stuck writing the X-Files for how many years, whereas yeah. with all the freelance stuff, it's different from week to week. You know, he's always writing a different show. And, you know, that that could be, you know, his thing. But if if he wanted to make a movie, based on, on what I'm seeing here in particular, I would have loved to have seen what Cliff Bull could have done uh, with a feature, you know, where he had full control of that script and of the style and everything like that because he's obviously, um, you know, a visual master who maybe uh, just is always working within the constraints of of whatever series he's he's working on? You know, I want to see what like his style looks like, his own personal style, and uh, I think we get a little glimpse of that here. And I'm hoping that you know through through the other episodes that we're going to be watching over the next few weeks that we'll we'll get to see some more of that. 
Well, do you have any uh, final thoughts on, on small potatoes? There, there are actually a surprising amount of episodes of the X-Files that deal with um, uh, uh, sexual events of some sort mm-hmm. in a humorous way. Um, this one manages to be – it manages to just be right on that edge of, of possibly being grotesque. Yeah. And the show went to some grotesque places. And, and and I love that it was able to. I love that it had that freedom. And I love that they didn't shy away from the grotesque components of the story. Mm-hmm. They just dealt with them the way that the agents would deal with them. Yeah. Which actually really helps when reflecting on the show because sometimes it's very difficult to know what kind of show it is. And and you do, and like every time you sort of have to fall back, like it really is a crime investigation series. They really are. It, it, it's a detective show. Yeah. And like it's weird because you keep wanting to say it's a conspiracy, it's a it's it's alien invasion, it's this, it's that. It's, they're, it's a detective show, and and this is an, a great case, yeah. And that's really exciting to remember that like it really is a detective show, and when they have a good case, it works. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to know, like why the show works and just how powerful like a genre can be. Yeah. I mean, I've always said that, you know, like, oh, my parents, like, I, I used to push the X-Files hard on them because my parents, they would only watch mystery on mm-hmm. Channel 11, essentially. And they'd be like, we love mystery. We love Poirot. We love Sherlock Holmes. We love it all. You know, even now they watch Sherlock, which is a show that they'd probably never watch if it wasn't on mystery, you know. But, you know, they they would watch other things like, let's say, Columbo and things like that. But they were really into mysteries. And... I always tried to say, like, hey, watch The X-Files. It's a mystery. It's just got aliens in it. And they'd watch a couple episodes and be like, yeah, that's fine. And then, you know, whatever. But that that is the thing to me. And, and one of the things which I, I find so compelling about this show is it's it's an alien show. It's science fiction. It's all those things. But it's not in space. It's not, you know, outlandish. It's not about, it's like... very rarely in space. It's, it's right. It, it is... <laughs> A detective show. It is film noir. It's sci-fi noir um, at its best. And it, it can be other things. It can be sci-fi noir comedy or whatever. And that's what Small Potatoes is. And, uh, um, yeah, like I was saying, I, I just really do think that, that this script in particular is a great way uh, to showcase what Bowl can do. Uh, when he's given even the the tiniest amount of freedom, and it it really does show another facet to to his uh, his skill set when you look at how uh, funny it is and how much of the humor uh, stems from his direction, his style, and and his visual gags and whatnot, and his timing. Which is which is great. I mean, I was kind of like in constant awe of how uh, perfectly this episode was put together, and I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best episodes of the X Files, and uh, I think it totally. It's a works. long list of great episodes. Yeah, yeah, and and but it, and this one is one that totally works on its own. Yeah. If you've never seen an episode of the X Files, you could watch this and be completely entertained. And it is available on Netflix. You can check it out. Season 4, Episode 20, Small Potatoes. Almost everything of the X-Files is available on Netflix. Yeah, I think all of it is, except for maybe the movie. Both movies. Both movies. Okay. 
I forgot about that other movie. Yeah? Yeah. All I right. forgot about it. That was fun. Well, it's been fun talking about small potatoes, but that's not the only thing we're talking about on Trek.fm this week. So uh, here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. The Enterprise. Because if you break it down, you've got a flying saucer with rockets. It's everything that he was trying to avoid, but it's so much more than that. He found a way to make a flying saucer with rockets make sense. Earl Grey. Encounter at Farpoint. The alien ship is literally shooting at and killing colonists on the planet, and he's like... I haven't had my talk to talk with Beverly yet. The Ready Room. Star Trek continues. Even on just seeing a corridor wall, you'll see, like, there's just a slash of of red against the wall. <laughs> that That's a stylistic choice that they were making in, in that era. So Matt has a great eye while we're shooting a scene. The Orb. The Full NDS-9. It, it's a milestone in the Cliff Bowl directing of Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. Defiant marks the final non-appearance of Sirach Lofton in a Cliff Bowl-directed episode. To the journey! Innocence Rewrite. We'll use a deflector dish to emit a tachyon beam, fire a few photon torpedoes, blow up the anomaly of the week, and then we'll just fly off into space like we do at the end of every week. Commentary, Trek stars. Remembering Cliff Bull with Larry Nemechek. But the the thing about Cliff personally was, um, that I'll always remember and it comes through in this transcript, he's a pretty plain spoken guy. And he would call a spade a spade. And uh, how, how, what's your rating on this podcast? Are you pretty much up to... Uh... Warp 5. Prequel design. Or just, you know, for the sake of the actor. So they felt like, in the design people, they felt like this was a real place that um, people would believe. And I, I just really appreciate that. Literary Treks. John Jackson Miller, Absent Enemies. And, and of course, the, the, you know, the larger thing about the whole phasing thing is it allowed me to tell a, a story that I think had a, a, a Star Trek feel to it, uh, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, the issue of war and peace. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of the Windows platforms like uh, Xbox and Zune and everything like that. Or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Okay, so Vince Gilligan, you know, he is the uh, creator of Breaking Bad. And and since then, he's sort of uh, taken on a much more public persona. And... um, if you go to audible.com, there's a couple of interviews with, with Vince Gilligan on there, and, and you can get them for free since you're a listener to uh, Trek.fm. Uh, there's one in particular, which he did with Charlie Rose on July 31st, 2013. Um, it says, uh, An evening with Vince Gilligan, creator, producer, and frequent writer and director of Breaking Bad. You know, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. But hey, you want to get a, a taste of... of who wrote this thing? Check it out. Check it out. It's free on audible.com. Vince Gilligan is one of the nerdiest showrunners in history. So there you he go. He will drop Star Trek and Star Wars references all over the place. So there you go. You can listen to this this 54-minute interview with him. 
since you are a, a Trek.fm listener, you can listen to it for free. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener... Uh, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and trek.fm. So if you want to leave us feedback, uh, you can go to trek.fm, and there's a little thing on the side there where you can uh, send an email to us, or you can just post a comment on the website, although if it's for an older episode, we might not see it right away. You could also leave us a comment on iTunes, or you could send us an email directly at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Or you can uh, hit us up on Twitter, at ComTrackStars. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think. You know? Yes. So please, let us know. We, we would appreciate the feedback greatly. Also, uh, go over to CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do our other show, Commentary TrackStars Off Topic. I, I get the impression that there's not all that much crossover between our two shows, even though they're essentially the same thing, only on one we say it's a Star Trek show and we don't talk about Star Trek. And on the other one, we say it's a general topic and we all we do is talk about Star Trek. Oh, um, sometimes we talk about Star Wars. Sometimes we talk about Star Wars. But, but it's always one of those. Yeah. But seriously, like if you like this show and you want to hear a much more laid back, uh, sort of even less professional version of, of it, much more of just sort of like a, a conversation um, with lots and lots of uh, swearing and uh, uh, um, uh, inappropriate uh, comments, go over to commentarytrackstars.com and, uh, and check out our show. This week we're talking about the, the Marvel, the new Marvel short, All Hail to the King. All Hail to the King? All Hail the King, yes. whatever it's called. The King. The King. All, hail to the King, because yeah. he's the King, and he requires right. it. We also talk about Wing Commander a whole bunch this week. Oh my god, so much Wing For Commander, For all you Wing you Commander fans out there. I know that you all are Wing Commander fans out there. Yeah. So go over and check that out as all well. All both of you. Because why not, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we talk about Wing Commander. Yeah, alright. <laughs> so that's it for this week. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about Cliff Bowles' second episode of The X-Files, Bad Blood. Oh, yeah. 